You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Hi. (laughs) My name is Jenna, and I get to read from Scripture for you today. I'm very excited about that because God's Word is amazing and alive. So I'm going to be reading from Matthew 17, 1 through 13. And we're still standing. Okay. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, is it good that we are here? It is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. And the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, I've met a lot of you on the way uh, as you guys were coming in. Uh, My name is David. I'm one of the elders here, and I serve as the executive pastor. And I get to share God's word with you this morning. Let's pause a moment in prayer. God, we um, ask that you would be with us. You would speak to us. And by your spirit, apply your word into our hearts. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I remember the first time I uh, watched the Superman movie starring Christopher Reeve. It's the late Christopher Reeve. Uh, And as a kid, I often wondered why um, no one could see the obvious that Clark Kent was, in fact, Superman, right? Clark Kent, uh, as we all know, was Superman's alter ego who worked as a reporter at the Daily Planet. Clark Kent, I thought, had a lousy disguise. Clark, he wore regular clothes, and get this, right? A pair of glasses. And of course, his nerdy personality. But really, Superman's true identity was that he was an alien born on the planet Krypton, and his real name was Kal-El, 
before arriving to earth, landing on a farm of his adoptive family, the Kent family. Superman had the ability to fly, he had x-ray vision, he had super strength. And Superman, he uses his powers for good, to save the earth from all those who want to destroy it. Superman, the, the comic book, and the movie franchise, they are fiction. But, but there is something that resonates in our hearts about a savior, a protector, and redeemer of humanity who is willing to give up his life to save earth and everyone in it. We want to believe in a savior like that. Well, we don't have to wish for a fictional savior because the true savior has come in the person and mission of Jesus, the Son of God. And today, as we continue in our sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew called the Upside-Down Kingdom, we come to the, a, a milestone moment in the life of Jesus and his disciples. And like the layers of an onion being pulled back, we get a glimpse into the true nature of Jesus' identity as God's Son at his transfiguration. Was Jesus merely wearing a costume before this incident to conceal his true identity? How do we know and how can we verify that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah? Is Jesus worthy of, of giving my life to? These are some of the questions Jesus' disciples were asking, and the same could be true for many of us today. So as we delve into today's text, I want us to see, number one, the confirmation, or rather the confirmations of Jesus' true identity as God's Son, which I will spend the bulk of our time, which will hopefully lead us to delighting in Jesus as our natural response to, to seeing, to beholding Jesus as he really is. Now, when Jesus called his disciples to follow him, they sensed something profound that compelled them to leave their lives, and, as we know it, and, and leave their homes. They, they spent time with Jesus. They witnessed his divine power through miracles. They, they, they were under his authoritative teaching. They witnessed him controlling the seas. And despite these experiences, the disciples grappled with the question of whether Jesus was the political and military Messiah they anticipated. The revelation of Jesus' true identity came through Peter's confession, as we studied several weeks ago, that Jesus is the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. And this acknowledgement surpasses seeing Jesus merely uh, as a prophet or a healer or an incredible teacher. It signifies that Jesus is the Savior promised in the Old Testament to set all things right since the entrance of sin that made a mess of all of God's creation. Jesus' mission which was revealed plainly following Peter's confession, was that he would suffer and die on the cross. 
And this unexpected path challenges the disciples' preconceived notions of a conquering political king. Jesus emphasizes that God's kingdom will not come through military force, but through his voluntary sacrifice on the cross. And despite initial resistance from the disciples, it becomes clear that Jesus is charting a different course for the kingdom of heaven, one that transcends worldly expectations and brings about glory, new life, and the restoration of all things through the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, last week, we looked at Jesus' challenge to deny ourselves, to take up the cross and follow him. It's essentially an invitation by Jesus to come and get crucified with me. The question anyone has, has when considering giving up everything for Jesus is, will it be worth it? Is he worth it? And in many ways, the fact that he was willing to deny himself and be crucified for us is proof that he's worthy of us doing the same. What would give you absolute confidence that Jesus really is the Christ, the Son of the living God? How could you be sure he was legit? It would help to hear straight from the mouth of God, right? And to have a vision of the future Jesus, an unveiling of sorts of his glory. If you experience that, then you would know who you were truly dealing with. So let's look at some of the confirmations of Jesus' true identity as God's Son, looking at verses 1 and 2. Now, up to this point, most people who looked at the outer appearance of Jesus saw a peasant from Galilee, the son of a carpenter, a so-called rabbi without any formal learning, a common man at best, an imposter at worst. But at the transfiguration, Jesus' true identity burst out from his inner character in dazzling radiance that shone through his physical body and even through his clothes. This glorious divine light was, of course, the glory of God on full display. And for a moment, the veil of Jesus' humanity was lifted and the true essence of his divine nature beamed out. It was a glance back at his eternal glory before time, as well as a preview of his future glory in his resurrection. And for the first time, the disciples would see Jesus' glory and radiance breaking out of his body and through his clothes. And this was not just a reflection of God's glory. This was the radiance of the glory of Christ himself. Now, Jesus' transfiguration of showing his true self and revealing his inner glory so that his dazzling light is revealed on his outer being is an interesting contrast to what we normally do. Because what we often do, of course, is the opposite. We often find ourselves masquerading and pretending to be someone we are not at all, and we were never meant to be. 
We put on a dazzling act on the outside and hope that the glory seeps in somehow. We fake it till we make it, and we often disguise ourselves with play-acting. We dress up the outside and put on a mask to cover our true identity and taking on whatever suits us at that time. But what if we could stop pretending? What if we could experience a transfiguration of our own following after Christ rather than masquerading as someone we are not? What if the transfiguration were a mirror image of the future glory we would one day experience? Well, this is the transformation Jesus brings to those who trust in in him. A, A metamorphosis from the inside out. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul writes this, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Jesus' transfigured glory is a picture of an outer manifestation of a radical inner change Jesus initiates in our hearts through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which transforms us to our true selves as we grow and take on more of Jesus' character. The revealed glory of Christ is the resurrection glory that will be ours. And today, we are in the making. We are taking on Christ's character day by day until that day. As if the manifestation of Jesus was not the transfiguration of Jesus, rather, was not enough to assure his disciples that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. Now Moses and Elijah both appear and talk with Jesus. Look at verse 3. Like, what's going on here? Why is Moses and Elijah making a cameo appearance in this glorious vision of Jesus? Well, for us, Moses and Elijah seem like old guys with beards, as we imagine them, of these stories that we heard about in the Old Testament. But we have to understand that they are heroes of the Jews. They they are towering figures of the Old Testament. Who are your heroes? Well, as a kid growing up in the 80s and 90s, it would be like I was hanging out with Jesus, the greatest person who ever lived, Then, all of a sudden, he starts glowing, and before I can wrap my mind around that, all of a sudden, Michael Jordan shows up, and Mr. T from the A-Team. You guys know who that is? One of my heroes. And they're standing around with Jesus and talking to him. That would be amazing, and you're wondering, what is going on? And that is exactly what was happening in the minds of the three disciples who were up there. Both Moses and Elijah were not just heroes to be admired. They represent something very significant in the way God has revealed himself to humanity up until the time of Jesus. Moses and Elijah represent the law of God and the prophets, respectively. They represent all that God has communicated to humanity thus far. 
All of these long-awaited Old Testament hopes of a coming Messiah were being fulfilled in the person and mission of Jesus. The confirmation of Jesus as the Son of God and the long-awaited Messiah was now confirmed by the appearance of Moses and Elijah before the very eyes of the disciples. Now, shouldn't the supernatural revealing of Jesus' glorious being and the appearance of both Moses and Elijah be enough to confirm Jesus as the Son of God? Wait, there's more. And this time, it's a voice, the voice of God the Father coming out of a cloud which overshadows them. Look at verse 5. It is the very voice of God the Father speaking to Jesus' disciples, confirming that Jesus is God's beloved Son with whom He is well pleased. And then God continues and commands His disciples and tells them, so listen to Him. Does this sound familiar? Remember at the beginning of Jesus' ministry when he was baptized, we, we witnessed the scene of the Spirit descending like a dove on Jesus and the Father speaking to his Son, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now as Jesus comes to the end of his ministry, we hear the voice of the Father again, affirming Jesus' identity and his mission for the encouragement and benefit of Jesus' disciples. Notice that the Father commands Jesus' Jesus's disciples to listen to him, which sets Jesus apart from Moses and Elijah. Jesus is the greater Moses. Jesus is the better Elijah. How can anyone come before a holy God, the creator of the universe and the almighty Lord? Who can approach him? Well, it's only through the person and work of Jesus alone. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus, repent of your sins and believe in Jesus. And because of Jesus' ministry, there is no more need for sacrificing animals. There's no more need for a tabernacle or temples or priests or prophets or kings because Jesus willingly offered himself as the perfect sacrifice without blemish and he becomes the temple to approach the unapproachable God. Jesus is the king worthy of all of our allegiance. Jesus is our high priest who makes intercession on our behalf and makes a way for us to know God and to be loved by him. Does the vision of Jesus' transfiguration cause you to worship Jesus? Are you delighting in Jesus as the Father delights in his Son? Do you want to listen to Jesus? Well, the response of Peter helps us to direct our hearts to delight in Jesus. Look with me in verses 4 and um, 6 through 8. Peter, in his excitement and desire to be part of this extraordinary event, he interjects himself into the scene. And out of his passion and 
possibly an attempt to prolong this remarkable encounter, Peter suggests making three tents for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah to commemorate the event. Now, although Peter didn't fully understand what he was saying and was actually gripped by fear, his suggestion had a profound background. In the presence of the holy God and the glorious Messiah, Peter Peter felt that it was fitting to suggest a tabernacle for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. Now, when we go back and we draw from the Old Testament where the first tabernacle was built, it was built after God's glory descended on Mount Sinai. Peter's suggestion resonated with the idea of God's presence dwelling among his people. And these temporary tents used during the Feast of Tabernacles symbolized the dwellings during the Exodus And the Jews believed with the Messiah's arrival, people would live in tents again with God in their midst. While Peter's intention might have been influenced by fear or a desire to delay Jesus' impending death, his response to seeing God's glory in Jesus was clear. It was to worship Jesus. Consider the disciples' awe and terror as they sat to witness, to have this front row seat of Christ's glory, radiating from the Son of God with Moses and Elijah present, enveloped in a cloud and a heavenly voice. They hear a heavenly voice, and they were in the presence of the God of creation, the King of the universe. See, worship as experienced by the disciples on the mountain, is a response to God's revealed presence. Worship goes beyond just intellectual belief to a tangible experience of God's delight in us. And it can be expressed through, the, through singing, through raising our hands, clapping, shouts of praise, acts of love and, and service to reflect our response to the radiant, beautiful, and glorious Lord. Now, as the mountaintop experience abruptly ends, Moses and Elijah vanish, leaving Jesus alone, as it says in verse 8. They saw no one but Jesus only. This signifies that in Jesus alone, No other form or ritual is needed to approach God. Jesus, the Son of God, is the new tabernacle dwelling with his people. Access to God is now available through Jesus, who is the better Elijah, the greater Moses, without the need for sacrifices, temples, or priests. Jesus alone is worthy of our worship and delight. Do you see him? as he is in all of his glory and splendor and mercy and power and holiness. Delight in Jesus, the Son of God, today. Worship him alone. Amen? The transfiguration was not merely a spectacular light show, 
but a carefully orchestrated preparation by Jesus for the disciples. It aimed to encourage them in the face of Jesus' impending suffering and crucifixion while providing a clear understanding of what it means to be his disciples. If you look at verses 9 through 13, we see them now descending from this mountain. And Jesus and his disciples, they have a very intriguing conversation. And in verse 9, Jesus instructs the disciples to be quiet, keep silent about the transfiguration until after his resurrection. Now, this directive served a twofold purpose. Number one, the disciples' understanding of the event would only fully be understood after Jesus' resurrection. And secondly, it emphasized the crucial lesson of obedience through suffering before ultimate glory. In referring to his resurrection, Jesus again reiterated the necessity of his impending death. And this emphasis on on, on the Messiah's identity as the suffering servant challenged the disciples who were uncomfortable with the idea as it contradicted as it contradicted their expectations of a triumphant, politically powerful Messiah. And their question about Elijah's coming first revealed their anticipation of a different kind of Messiah. Now, as the disciples asked about Elijah and his coming, they were actually referring to a passage in Malachi chapter 4, Look at verse 5. It says, Behold, I will send you, Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. You see, the disciples connected the appearance of Elijah with the advent of the Messiah. However, Jesus clarified that John the Baptist fulfilled this role. Calling Israel to repentance and baptizing Jesus, preparing the way of the Lord. The disciples needed to grasp that just as John the Baptist suffered and died, so too would Jesus. The transfiguration's glory served as a preview of the resurrected glory, emphasizing that the path to ultimate glory required embracing the cross. Jesus was teaching the disciples about true discipleship, denying personal agendas, taking up one's cross and following him. And in our lives, we often seek glory without embracing the cross. We try to avoid suffering and pain. However, the way of Christ means that we have a willingness to endure suffering, persecution, and self-denial to follow Jesus. The good news is that Jesus did not pursue his own glory apart from the cross. The transfiguration prepared him and his disciples for his crucifixion. N.T. Wright, who is a New Testament scholar, helps us to contrast Jesus' experience at his transfiguration and Crucifixion, as we close here. Here's what he writes. 
Here, that is, at the transfiguration, on a mountain is Jesus revealed in glory. There, on the cross, on a hill outside Jerusalem is Jesus revealed in shame. Here, his clothes are shining white. There, they have been stripped off and soldiers have gambled for them. Here he is flanked by Moses and Elijah, two of Israel's greatest heroes, representing the law and the prophets. There he is flanked by two thieves, representing the level to which Israel had sunk in rebellion against God. Here a bright cloud overshadows the scene. There darkness comes upon the land. Here, Peter blurts out how wonderful it all is. There, he is hiding in shame after denying he even knows Jesus. Here, a voice from God himself declares that this is his wonderful son. But there, a pagan soldier declares in surprise that this really was God's son. Friends, because Jesus embraced the cross in our place, we are invited to believe in Jesus and receive the good news of the forgiveness of sin and the promise of new life where we now live to reflect His glory. And what is more is that when we behold Jesus, the Son of God, we are filled with the same delight God the Father has had for eternity. And that delight is what compels us to do what God's voice thundered from the cloud, the love of delighting in Him and listening to Him. Amen? A couple of community group questions. Number one, when do you find yourself delighting most in Jesus? And secondly, when is it easiest for you to listen to Jesus? When is it hardest? Let us pray. God, we thank you for revealing yourself to us in such normal ways as well as supernatural ways. It's also very upside down. How could the cross be the path to ultimate glory? But it is. So Lord, we pray you would reveal more of yourself to us as we worship you as we gaze upon your beauty, fill our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.